Hello, everyone. This is Mike Epstein, and welcome to Speaking of the Arts. My guest today is Amy Lamb. Amy is the founding principal of Lamling Group, with an extensive and unique career spanning both artistic direction and business management in the performing arts. Ms. Lamb provides consulting services and customized strategies for artists, presenters, and other nonprofit institutions. Ongoing clients and recent projects of Lamling Group include artistic programming and strategic planning for the Celebrity Series of Boston, project management, including international relations for New England Conservatory, artistic planning for Milton Academy, program and business planning for the inaugural season of Shailen Lowe Performing Arts Center, and general consulting for a number of regional and international artists, among others. Prior to founding Lamling Group in 2008, Ms. Lamb served as Senior Vice President of Programming and Operations for the Celebrity Series of Boston, one of the largest multidisciplinary presenters in New England. Other Ms. Under Ms. Lamb's direction, the programming palette of the Celebrity Series expanded beyond the traditional uh, of presenting the world's finest classical artists to include many new disciplines and aesthetics, such as contemporary music, folk, art, speakers, theater, and multimedia productions. Ms. Lamb's creativity and skillful introduction of new artistic voices led to a steady growth of audience space over the past two decades, and the eclectic mix of events has become the signature brand of the Celebrity Series today. As a programming professional, Ms. Lamb is a regular panelist for the National Endowment for the Arts and most recently served as a jury member for the Concert Artists Guild National Competition. Passionate about nurturing the next generation of artists and administrators for the field, she is a frequent speaker and guest lecturer on arts administration on many college campuses, including Harvard University, the Berklee College of Music, and the Boston Conservatory. Amy, it is such a pleasure to have you on today. Thank you very much for being here. Oh, you're welcome. This is fun. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, I'm very excited to be speaking with you today. Um, your experience with the Celebrity Series of Boston, as well as the Lambling Group, is going to make for a very informative discussion. So let's get started here. Um, how about we start with a little bit of your background? You grew up in Hong Kong. Can you tell us more about how you got started in the arts industry? <laughs> Um, yeah, I grew up in Hong Kong, and um, I actually went to college in Hong Kong. I was a music major. I was a pianist, um, but uh, soon after I started um, in music school, I have pretty much decided that I probably would be better off sitting behind a desk than behind a piano as a profession. Um, you know, I love playing the piano ever since I was a little girl, but I think, you know, going into music school and really, you know, doing the, the you know, full-time music major really, you know, got me thinking playing music, especially playing the piano, is actually a very lonely profession, at least for me. Um, so very early on, I decided that, you know, as much as I love playing the piano, I think I want to be on the administration administration side. Um, so after I graduated um, from Chinese University of Hong Kong, I applied for a number of arts administration program in um, pretty much around the world, in, in London as well as in the U.S., I, and, and I ended up getting a really good scholarship and um, went to Binghamton University for arts administration. It was an MBA program, which is the appealing part to me because as a music major, I felt like I wanted more of a business training, so I went for the MBA 
Um, and then after I graduated um, with the MBA in arts administration, then I was kind of like your typical overqualified and completely underexperienced young professional trying to find a job in music administration. So I bounced around, you know, New York and Boston. You know, I did some, you know, I was the backroom intern and part-timer in the, you know, publicity, putting together press kits, you know, back in the days for music agencies and different places and ultimately landing um, a job with the Celebrity Series in Boston. Yeah, I love hearing sort of how you've done a variety of different things but never losing focus of ultimately what you knew you wanted to do. And I have no doubt that even though uh, from the onset you didn't actually continue, you know, performing piano professionally, clearly that was a guiding force in what um, kind of became your, your journey to where you are now. In the in the introduction, I had mentioned you've been a huge part of the Celebrity Series for over 20 years now. Um, I want to read a quick excerpt from the Celebrity Series website, just so our listeners can get a better sense of the scope of the organization. Um, so each season from October to May, the Celebrity Series presents more than 50 multicultural and international artists and performing ensembles to audiences in the greater Boston area. By utilizing a number of different performance venues throughout the area, each year the Celebrity Series presents programs of classical music, modern and classical dance, jazz, folk, and world music, family music, and multimedia performances. And just a few names from your upcoming season include David Sedaris, Lang Lang, Mavis Staples, and Joan Osborne, Chucho Valdez, Yo-Yo Ma, Yitzhak Perlman, and so much more. So... Um, that's kind of, you know, a general over, overview of just the scope of what you guys are doing. But take us back to the beginning. I mean, how did your relationship with the organization initially begin? Well, like I said, the series was kind of, um, I wouldn't say the first job, but, you know, a, a very early on, um, you know, I, I started a celebrity series very young, right out of business school pretty much. Um, and I was the administrative assistant to then the executive director, Walter Pierce. Um, and this is some, you know, 20 some years ago. And it was, uh, back then, it was a very, a pretty traditional presenter, a lot of classical music, um, which was right up my alley. And Walter was one of those, you know, really, um, your typical, impresario. He was already in the business for a long time. He was very well respected in the business, so I felt very lucky to be his assistant. And um, back then, Walter pretty much did all the booking, all the negotiations, and dealing with all the venues, and I was his assistant. The rest of the office dealt with marketing and development and you know finance and everything else. But as far as the concerts and the events and the season, it's really just Walter and myself. And so I learned everything from Walter. I learned everything from this amazing gentleman. Um, he, he, you know, back then he was just starting to learn how to use the computer, but he really didn't like it. And so he would actually type every correspondence on his typewriter. And he would give me that piece of correspondence that he type wrote and gave it to me, and I would retype it, input it into the computer. 
and then I would output it, and then I would either mail it or fax it or, you know, whatever he wanted me to do with that piece of memo. But that could be anything from negotiating a fee to programs to just researching different ways of speaking with agents and artists. And I tell you, by typing every single piece of his correspondence, I learned everything. I mean, I was you know I was young, I was like a sponge, and that's really how I started the business. Um, and I worked for him for I think probably five years or so. And then he stepped down. He was retiring. And then um, the next executive director, Marty Jones, um, you know, she was the general manager of the series at the time, and she became the executive director, and she brought me on as the director of programming. And it was really um, starting then that I started to really do the programming for the series. And the rest is history. Um, but my my start, I really attributed a lot to Walter and how I learned from him, and then subsequently, you know, working alongside with Marty for over ten years. Um, I was just, you know, really one of those really lucky ones. Always was at the right place at the right time. Certainly, yeah. Well, it's I love hearing you talk about your relationship with Walter. I mean, it's really amazing to have to be able to have a mentor like that. Um, oh, yeah. Especially from the onset, and um, it's 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 just fun to hear you describe that. Um, and I think you know, in the short amount of time I've gotten to know you, I can tell that you're a very modest person. <laughs> and um, <laughs> what I mean by that is the the celebrity series has such a long history. It began in 1938, soon became recognized as one of the preeminent presenters in New England for some of the world's greatest classical musicians. That's absolutely still true today, as I had mentioned some of those artists who are going to be part of your 15-16 season. And since, um, uh, it's definitely true, but uh, since the time that you've been on board, um, the organization has started to include lots of different types of music and lots of different types of genres. Um, I have no doubt that has probably been a big challenge. And I'm wondering if you might talk a little bit about how you've been able to sort of change the programming culture over time? Because I, I think any other presenters who are listening deal with this every day, and I'd love to have you talk a little bit about that. Well, I think, you know, it was no, it was always a very organic process. It was never a time when I sit down and say, gee, I really want to change this from A to B. It was more that we're responding to um, the demand of um, the marketplace I think part of it is actually even the existing um, core customers, subscribers, and ticket buyers are looking for new products all the time. And then, of course, as an organization, as you try to grow, as you try to grow with your society as a whole, um, you're expanding your aesthetics and your musical horizons just like the rest of the society is looking to expand. So I think as much as, you know, we're... Over time, yes, we definitely changed the complexion of the celebrity series, um, you know, from a very traditional classical music presenter to a, you know, truly multidisciplinary presenter today. Um, it was a very organic growth process, you know, j just because we grow with the market and grow with de demand. I think the, dif the difficult part, of course, especially for us, which is such a, you know, traditional and long-time presenter, 
is how you have that relationship with your audience as far as, you know, the push and pull, you know, how do you, you know, grow new things, bringing in new aesthetics without alienating your, you know, some of the very traditional subscribers who really just wanted to do the one, two, or three things that they hold so dear to their aesthetic hearts. Um, you know, so how do you bring in new things and still sustain um, the interest of the existing core subscribers while you're expanding the horizon. So there's always that balancing act. Um, you know, people talk about, you know, to lead or to follow. Um, you know, to me, I always feel like the best place to be is right in the middle. You know, you, you're walking with your customers you're walking with your ticket buyers you know so you're not one is not leading the other but you're growing together um that's really the the best way to describe it as far as you know bringing in new statics um a lot you know i i read a lot <laughs> um you know we as programmers we're constantly you know going out and seeing new things and you know, I'll be lying if I say I like all 60 things that I bring onto the series or, you know, other work that I do. Um, but it is about, you know, exposing new horizons to every, you know, ticket buyer and encouraging folks to try new things. Um, and I and I always say that to, you know, our ticket buyers, you know, as long as you have an open mind, they always, you know, like a classical music, you know, subscriber would say, oh, I don't know modern dance. I just, you know, I just don't get it. And I always say, there's nothing to get. Just come. Just, you know, I said, to, just promise me one thing. Bring your open mind. Just sit there. Bring your open mind. Um, and that's the best subscribers and the best ticket buyer you can have, right, that actually have that um, mentality, that openness to experience new things. And I like to think that that's what the Celebrity Series is about, you know, that that now we're just bringing in this rich array of different artistic experience. And if you want to try something new, this is the place that, that you can try. You can pick a little of this, a little of that. Um, and that's kind of became the, the signature brand of what we are today. Yes, yes, absolutely. I think, I think uh, you know, given the longevity of it, the um, people have come to certainly trust just the name itself. And uh, you know, like you said, if they if they're able to come with an open mind, they're probably going to have a great experience. Have you noticed specifically over the last twenty years, or even longer, going back to when you first got into the arts administration side of things? How I mean. Are there any sort of big differences between an audience of, say, 15, 20 years ago versus an audience of, of now? Oh, huge. Um, you know, I think that's part of the benefits of being associated with one organization, too, and one marketplace is that you really see this shift over time. I would say, you know, 15 years ago, um, you know, the the, the audience would – say, oh, I went to see so-and-so, and that was a great concert. I got to see that again. And they would come back to experience the same artist, maybe a different program, but they really wanted to keep trying that artist. You know, they it's literally it is a try and true. Oh, I've done this before. I know this is good. I'm going to come back. Today, I would say even, you know, started, I would say, personally, I think is like around 10 years ago, 
the audience started to feel like, oh, I've done this. That was a great concert. This artist was great. I'm ready for something else. And so the the fact that it was good doesn't mean that they're going to come back. They're not going to come back to see the same thing because they felt like they have already seen it. They want something else. They want something else that's equally good and ideally even better. So the bar for us as programmers just keep get you know raised higher and higher. Um, and people want new things. They want new products. I would say in the last five years or so, then it becomes, oh, I've seen this artist. It was great. I'm ready for something else. I've seen this type of concert in this particular setting. I'm ready for something else. Now folks are looking for not only new artists and new projects and new um, music experience, but they're also looking for a new experience in general. So it's almost like, okay, last time I listened to it, I was sitting down. Now let's try standing up, you know. Um, Last time I listened to it, the room was, you know, 30% light. Let's try it completely dark. I mean, the... I think, you know, today with our society, with all the new products and new sensors that keep being thrown at us, people are just looking for new experience all the time. So it's no longer just going going and sitting down at a concert hall suffice. You know, you have to create new experience. And that experience may or may not be just the concert itself. It's the pre-experience. How do you do, you know, how do you prepare your audience before they come into the concert? How do you talk to them during the concert? And do you talk to them after the concert and how you talk to them? It's the whole package. Um, mix out job, you know, there are different ways to look at it. You know, of course, it makes it a little bit more difficult because, you know, you, have, you can only have so many new ideas every day <laughs> as a programmer or every season. Um, it also makes it more fun. Um, and I truly mean that because it becomes the sky is the limit. I mean, you can do anything and you know, if you tap into the right audience, the right segment, they will come with you. Now, that segment may not be very big, and that's what we want to grow. But to have a pocket of audience who actually will travel with you to try new things as you're also trying new things, it's, it's a it's a very stimulating thing, at least for me. Yeah, I want to. You you just said so many great things. I want to sort of pick apart a few a few of the things. Um, you know, as I'm hearing you describe this, these changes uh, that, or I guess, the expectations of the audience, I, I can't help but think about it from the artist's perspective. Um, and I just, I guess, I'm kind of curious to get maybe your insight into. And you don't have to necessarily name any specific artists, but mm-hmm. you know, how as an art, how have you, what are, how have you observed artists being able to adapt to this change when? Audiences just really, especially if they don't, uh, no matter how much they love the quote artist, they want they want a different one the next time around. I wonder, you know, have you have you noticed uh, artists being able to sort of respond to that by doing just incredibly different things each time, or what do you think? Um. Yes, I think certainly artists are constantly looking for ways to connect with the audience too. Obviously, different art forms. Um, you know, some are more conducive to, you know, changing the way of communication than others. Um, you know, in, in the extreme sense, you can, of course, look at someone like Yo-Yo Ma, 
who is constantly reinventing himself and constantly finding new ways to communicate with the audience, you know, through his one instrument of cello. Um, you know, he tried to create parallel with dance. He tries to create parallel with architecture, um, you know, and he tries to, you know, find new um, aesthetics through his Silk Road project, bringing global influence. Um, you know, now that's, of course, you know, that's, like I said, you know, that's that's yo-yo, but, you know, he's a prime example of how he changes the experience and he changes how your the audience really listens to the cello and find ways to relate to the music that he creates through his instrument. Um but there are a ton of artists that are, you know, doing new and different things all the time in different settings. Um obviously it's nothing new for, you know, classical musicians to go into pubs and bars and play in different places now. Um, but, you know, I think it's also because, you know, musicians, especially younger contemporary musicians, are always looking for a, a safe place to create and try new things, similar to how jazz artists, of course, you know, they have already found the secret sauce long ago, right, to be in a jazz club and really working and creating with the audience, Um and classical musicians are, are starting to do that um, in very new way, and I also feel that today's contemporary musicians and I I'm one that you know like to define labels quite a bit you know that whether they be classical jazz or or you know whatever label that might be the the newer generation of musicians and artists there are they are definitely trying different things in different settings um multimedia is an old word now right i don't even know what the new equivalence is but you know really trying different ways to relate to audience i you know i think you know for us we are out there looking for that type of artist um to me anyway that type of artist particularly appeal to me um I think that um yeah many artists are, are doing that some are more successful than others obviously um it's also hard because you know once you find a new way to do it then you know how do you actually present it to to the public and actually get the public to come along so you know I hope the celebrity series and many of my fellow presenters play a small part in that and encouraging artists to create in that way um but it's it's a new trend it's 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 it by no means easy Sure. Um, you know, one thing that might, I, I would think, would be a little bit sort of conducive to what you're describing from an artist's perspective um, in terms of adapting and I guess really embracing the way that mm-hmm. people want to experience concerts would be the very sort of nature by which the Celebrity Series operates. And by that, I'm talking about you. the organization doesn't have a single home-based venue, there's other organizations around the country that operate in a similar way. Might They might not have been doing so as long as the Celebrity Series. Um, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about maybe some of the challenges and conversely some of the um, opportunities and advantages that come from not having a single place to present music. Well, I mean, the, you know, one huge advantage of not having a home um, is gives us the flexibility. We can go wherever we want. I always joke with, you know, my agent friends and managers that, you know, I said, you know, give me a product, I'll find a place to do it as long as it's good. It could be my closet, my basement, but we'll find a place. <laughs> um, but 
because I don't take a box. I don't take a particular concert hall, the specs and all of that, and plop it into and make the product fit. Everything that I look for in a in in the concert season, it starts with the product. It starts with the artist. It starts with what I think is best for the series and best for the Boston marketplace. Um, and then I find the appropriate venue to put it in. And by that appropriate venue, I mean, you know, the greater Boston. So, you know, there's so many to choose from. I mean, of course, we like to whine that there's never enough, right? It doesn't have the ideal one that I'm looking for. But, you know, honestly, for the most part, I have at my disposal, you know, 8, 10, 12 different venues that I, you know, think about and, you know, how best to present it. So the flexibility is one. I mean, you look around the country. There are many of my presenting colleagues who have homes already are also looking outside of their own home to find different venues because, you know, you have different products and different arts um, experiences or concerts that demand a different type of setting. Um, And by nature of not having a home, of course, then we're much leaner. Um, as huge as the celebrity series looks, you know, a series of, you know, 60 some, you know, 60, 70 performances a year with a community program uh, go along with it, we're actually just a staff of about 20 people. Um, and we have very little overhead as a result because everything comes down to the to the shows, to the events, um, I would say as much as 70 to 80% of our annual budget is entirely devoted to artistic. Um, you know, 80% of the budget, you know, is de- devoted entirely to actually putting on the concerts, whether that be artist fees, production costs, venue, operations, everything. So, it's much leaner that way. It also enables us to really be very flexible, and by that, not just artistic disciplines, but also the operating model. Um, so I think those are the prime advantages, of course. The disadvantage would be that we don't have the stability of having our own home. Um, by that, I mean when you put on a concert or an event, what are the you know important ingredients? The ingredients are artists, right, and the venue and the audience. Well, when one out of the three important ingredients, one being the being the venue, is a part that you cannot control, <laughs> whether that be the availability or the cost or the operating model, um, that could provide a constant challenge. Um, to me, the availability of venues is always a challenge because most of the venues that, well, all of the venues that we present in are owned and operated by a different entity, whether that be owned and operated by Boston Symphony Orchestra or New England Conservatory, Berkeley of College of Music, Harvard, um, to some of the more commercial houses like the Schubert Theater and the Wang Center. Um they're all built for, you know, other purposes. More, you know, no one built it because the celebrity series can use it, right? <laughs> so I, I always <laughs> say that I'm the second most important thing <laughs> for the venues. I mean, they're all great to us. Obviously, they look at us as a tremendous resource, and they love us being there. Um, and we have great relationships with all of them. But I'm the second best thing. <laughs> I'm the second best priority. Um, so that part, that's always the the, the juggling part. Um, 
but you know not having not having a home it's um it, it really has been um the the key advantage i think for us you know to be able to offer the kind of um flexibility and the kind of diversity of programming is almost all because we don't have a home so we it, it allows us the freedom to think the freedom to think i really like that <laughs> um, the fall, uh, for better or for worse, is more or less right around the corner. What are some of the shows that you guys are doing for the fifteen sixteen season that you're you're really excited about? Hmm. Wow, that's a that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> I know you're excited about all of them, but well, yes, I well, of course. Um, well, as a pianist, I'll start there. Um, you know, Emmanuel X is one of my favorite pianists, um, so I'm looking forward to his recital. And same thing with Jeremy Dank, who's you know who's doing so many new interesting things now, and he actually is offering a very interesting program, um, a combination of tradition, you know, more um, mainstream music with the you know the ragtime type of music, um, you know, something that a, a quote unquote serious musician rarely um, you know get into. So um, looking forward to that. I also have developed a huge um, dance appetite these days. You know, with having booked dance for the series for this many years, I actually have enjoyed a different types of dance. Um, but one of the dance performances that I'm most um, excited about is Akram Khan and Israel Gavan. Um, it will be uh, Akram's first Boston appearance, but he's a huge star in Europe. He's the one who actually choreographed the um, London Olympics. He's based in London with Sadler Wells, um, and um, he's collaborating with with Israel, who's a big flamenco star in Spain, and this new project um Akram has modern dance and Katak and you know and Israel has flamenco and you would never think between Katak and flamenco you actually have a new dance language that you've never seen before um so you know I I do encourage you especially since you're based here in Boston <laughs> to come check it out I can go on cuz of course you know the <laughs> I always say, you know, every booking has a story behind it. You know, every booking, you know, we we go into it because, you know, we as the programmer, you 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 get so you you get so personal with every single booking, right? You know, because it strikes somewhere a personal, aesthetic, and emotional note. Um, so I seriously, every, every every booking, I can go on forever, and there there are reasons why I think everybody should go see it. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. Well, I mean, you've got you've certainly got me excited for that dance show. I'm I'm, I'm for sure come check that out. Okay, you do that. <laughs> I definitely will. Um, well, you know, I think this is a sort of a good point to kind of wrap up our conversation here. You have touched on some very great points, and I've particularly enjoyed hearing about your own story and how the Celebrity Series operates and all the exciting things you guys are doing. Um, I I just can't thank you enough for taking the time to speak with me today, and I think that a lot of people are going to get some very important takeaways from this conversation. So, again, I want to thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been fun talking to you. Likewise. Likewise. Enjoy the rest of your day, Amy. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.